Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 169th episode of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser, one of your hosts, at HawkBlogger on Twitter. And uh, man, pivotal, pivotal time for not only this Seahawks season and this particular team, but for the Seahawks franchise. Uh, A lot riding on what's going to happen in really the next week. Uh, the Seahawks play a game against the 49ers in San Francisco on Sunday and then turn right around and play the Los Angeles Rams at home on Thursday night. So this is going to be rapid fire. We got tons to go through. We've got an A plus crew to take you through it. And we're going to start by bringing in, uh, Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. Dana, you have put up with a lot, a lot of agonizing bullshit in our chat all week. How are you holding up? Not well. I'm trying really hard not to be pissed at all of you, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. You look visibly frustrated at us right now. It is for between me and the listeners, listeners, listen to me right now. These assholes are exhausting sometimes. I mean, it really is. Sometimes? Sometimes or all the time? Where it's like, Evan's a human today. I don't know quite what happened, but no, I really, honestly, it, they vocalize their frustrations regularly and I get it. And it's a great place to vent, right? Like, so then you're not carrying over another crap and I get all of that, but yeah, it's been a week. That's yeah. It's been a week. We're going to, we're going to go through that a little bit more um, to okay. the extent you're comfortable with, but you know, 
as folks, I hope appreciate, and part of the reason they tune into this show, and if you haven't already, please click subscribe, click the thumbs up uh, so you get notified when we have more shows, patreon.com slash hawkblogger to talk Seahawks in the Slack channel all the time, whenever you want. And even there is a Mariners talk channel and very uh, good thing there is. I would say the Mariners haven't competed for a playoff spot in over 20 years until there was a Real Hawk Talk Mariners talk channel created. So coincidence? No, we don't know. Anyway, uh, point being, we want to have diverse opinions on this show. And, and not everybody feels the same way about what's important and what's going well, not what's going Sadly, if everyone's in agreement, that's not so interesting. So, so it's important, and and uh, we won't always agree. And you probably will hear that more tonight, is my guess. But Dana, thank you as always for being uh, for being yourself, and we're looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Uh, the other person you heard coming in there at Evan Hill HB. Evan, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm actually uh, feeling kind of optimistic right now, so I'm excited to dive into this. <laughs> Dana's like, no, I'm being, I'm being like dead serious too. Like I, I think there's like a, actually, no, we'll save it. I'm not going to go on the tangent. Okay. We'll, we'll come back to it. Uh, last, but certainly not least, uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11. He and I, as usual, we're on, you know, various different sides of, of conversations this week. How are you holding up Nathan? I think you're probably like at this point, nonplussed at anything that goes on in that chat. Um, yeah, the chat. Well, no, you still bother me. Uh, <laughs> same, same. I'm glad that we we uh, we held on to that. Uh, but yes, I'm I'm used to it. I'm I'm uh, I'm battle hardened, so I'm I'm doing okay. You didn't seem okay when that Sherman news came out this morning. Let's start there. Get... Let's start okay. there. Yeah. So so for folks, I think unless you've been under a uh, I don't know what you'd be under to not hear this. The Seattle Seahawks did not bring back Richard Sherman, and he signed officially with the Tampa Bay Bucks for a little bit over $2 million to play corner for that team. He was recruited by Tom Brady and then signed by the team. Uh, there are conflicting reports about whether the, the Seahawks, I'm going to probably say Mariners a few times tonight because uh, they're definitely on my mind, but uh, whether the Seahawks actually reached out. Uh, and let's bring that in. So, so Evan, do you want to talk about the news that you thought triggered Nathan? And then Nathan, uh, please tell us what your thoughts were when you heard it. Yeah. So there was, so I think Sherman announced himself via the pod that he was joining the box and he mentioned a couple of other teams that were interested, Seattle being one of them. And, and I think he used the word early interest or, or something around that type of phrase. And there was an additional report that came out this morning that when the Seahawks heard that Sherman was being recruited by the Bucks, they called him like last second at the airport and like tried to convince him not to get on the airplane. So uh, that made Nathan feel really good. Nathan, what was your reaction to that news? There, it was a, a slow burn, and I don't know what it is. I don't, is it Dove or Dove climbing? I don't know. Dove, Dove, Dove. I was wrong. Uh, I don't know what it is about this tweet, but even just reading it again now, I'm so mad about it. Uh, he just said so. Uh, 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 Duger uh, tweeted out like the you know, the dude holding the boom box that you know, picture, whatever, and 
Uh, Doe said basically this. They told him all along they are good at cornerback. Then when he's about to go uh, to his first visit, they tried to stop him from going on the plane. And, like, I think it's just a combination of the idea that they at least pretended to anyone that they were going to be good at cornerback. And then the fact that, like, because clearly they knew. And I don't know if it was just a PR thing to be like, well, we tried. Or if they seriously just got caught with their pants down. But it just, um, I mean... Yeah, it, 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 this was just such an obvious thing. It was such a clear way to always compete and try to make the team better. And they absolutely flubbed it. Um, uh, people, I've had people yell at me, Sherman's slow. He's not going to fix it. It's, it's, he's not the answer. No, he's not. He's not going to fix the defense. But like, he is probably, he would probably be the best or second best cornerback on this team and he was available for free and they have been getting destroyed and never knew there were no draft picks right freely available they could sign him for money yeah yes uh and uh they didn't and it's just it's just baffling yeah dana you know you and i have been on the sign sherm train for forever uh on this on this uh show even during the off season and I mean, the Seahawks, even back in 2013, when they were stacked, brought in Antoine Winfield into camp as a veteran. And there was questions about how much he had left. And guess what? He didn't make the roster and they let him go. So this whole time, like there's no there's no sensible argument I can make from a football standpoint about why the team wouldn't have brought Sherman, knowing that he had interest in coming back. He, it it was in the news, you know, he's been very forthright about that, both to San Francisco and to Seattle and the Seahawks never did. Uh, Why do you think that is? And how do you feel about that? Um, Well, I was real pissed on Sunday and that's, I had a couple, I had so many people be like, are you okay? Are you okay, Dana? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine because I was pissed on Sunday Um, because when Sherman posted that picture of like the soccer snacks and he's like oh this will be the last Sunday I'll get to do this I was like he's going to Tampa Bay like you just knew right because they had basically already announced it without actually announcing it the thing that bothered me today it bothered me as as much as it did Nathan was the fact that if Seattle really did want him and they really you know thought oh we need to get him why didn't they call him on Sunday well I mean it was game day I get it but why not Monday why why wait until he actually leaves town Unless, like you said, it was more of an appeasement to the fan base, that they that that was not an, a place they wanted to go back. And it's not logical. I, I think that he would have added to the team, but we don't know everything, but we would have assumed, right, he would have easily brought better play to the team. Um, and they but they just didn't really want him. And so that was just to make all the people like me screaming for Sherman to come back that that you happy. Well, no, it makes it worse, right? It, it absolutely makes it worse when they could have done it after the Titans game, right? We knew there was trouble after the Titans game and maybe Seattle thought they could figure it out the next week, but obviously they didn't. That phone call should have made a long time ago, Yeah, but they didn't. So where do you go from here is the real question. Yes. And we will, we'll definitely get into that mm-hmm. and looking ahead here in a second. Um, 
I mean, I've seen, I've heard from a lot of folks as well. I've heard what, what Nathan mentioned about, mm-hmm. Hey, he's lost a step. I've said on here multiple times. I think that's a real misunderstanding of what Sherm, how he made his career here. Um, he was always about anticipation and was never physically like dominating his team, his, his opposition in terms of being faster or whatever else. So I, I think, I think Sherman is going to play well for the Bucks. I, th- I I hope he does. I'm, I'm totally rooting for him. No hesitation to do so. And it's not, I've also heard, uh, you know, it's just like KJ. I, I don't think it's like KJ. I, I do think that there's legitimate reason to look at the linebacker position with a young Jordan Brooks mm-hmm. and a young Daryl Taylor and what they're trying to do there and say, yeah, KJ is probably better right now than some of those guys but does it make sense to block those younger players from snaps? No. At corner, does it make sense to block Trey Flowers from snaps? Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like, uh, d- does it make sense to potentially block DJ Reed from snap? Yeah, actually it does. So uh, there was never a good, like, we're not grooming Trey Flowers to be something. Like, he is a stopgap, and he is not stopped anything from going through the gap, which is a mile long. So um, I don't see any comparison between the KJ Wright situation and the, the Richard Sherman, other than they're both capable former Seahawks, um, you know, who we'd love to cheer for, but. And, and KJ signed before week one, right? Yes. Yes. So KJ, you know, look, Brooks has not been very good. And I doubt that they would have gone and got KJ if he was sitting out there, but like, you're absolutely right. Like the op, like the reason to believe in the the linebackers, fundamentally different than any reason you could have to believe in the corners. But Sherm was out there after the Titans game. He was. It's this is it's Wednesday. <laughs> it's been a couple of days since the Vikings game. Like even if they thought this Trey's got it, he's gonna he's gonna figure this is it. He's it's happening. They have had now weeks of evidence that no, he does not. No, this isn't good. And they still didn't pull the trigger until apparently the absolute last possible second. So, like, it's it's just, it, I, I think there's a tweet that you can probably go find of mine where I said I'm not really interested in Sherman. Um, and this was a couple weeks ago. And partly because of everything that happened in the offseason and, and just, I think, I don't know when it was, but we didn't have reason to panic quite yet. Right. But like we have new information. I have changed my mind. I feel like the Seahawks should have changed their mind as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said, Nathan. So, I mean, I think that's enough on the, the Sherm news, unless there's more that folks want. We, we can go into. But I know if people. I have one other thing I want to say, though. Yeah, please, please go ahead. How freaking happy are you, though? He did not end up back in San Francisco. Like if he <laughs> had to go somewhere out of our division is where I wanted him to go because San Francisco was hurting at cornerback so badly right now. So that's the one silver lining. Good point. Good point. I, I mean, yeah, I think there's a lot of folks that want to get into, um, you know, is this, did Pete block this? Did Schneider, is Schneider's not smart enough to do this? Is Russ not like secretly telling people, you know, behind closed doors, he doesn't want Russ, uh, Sherman back. We could go into it. I don't think that's worth talking about at this point. Um, it's done. He's not coming back. Uh, wish him the best. And now we got to focus on what the Seahawks do have or don't have and what happens here. So here's what I'd like to ask you. And Evan, I'm coming to you first on this. And I want you all to think about this. Um, see if I form this question right. So uh, if 
a football team, all of its talents, you know, add up the special teams, uh, offense, defense, all that stuff have a hundred possible points. You know, you could be, if you're the perfect team, you're a hundred out of a hundred. Okay. And let's say that Super Bowl teams, true Super Bowl contenders are 90 and above. Okay. They, they add up their, their whole, like it could be a 70 defense and a 20 offense. Let's leave special teams out of it just for the sake of simplicity, you know, um, but they could be a really great defense or they could be a really great offense. How do you guys see the Seahawks right now? What did you, out of a hundred points, you know, how much do you think the, the offense, what, how, what, how many points would you allocate to the offense? What would be the total score out of a hundred? You'd give this offense and defense and how would you allocate those points? Does that make sense? Are you guys following me so far? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think um, I'll take first stab at it then. So yeah. for just simplicity's sake, like you said, we're leaving special teams out of it, but obviously Jason Myers would add a ton of points. So um, <laughs> to the other team's chances by missing kicks, but we won't okay, go. go fuck yourself. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, so we, uh, the way I'm thinking about it, at least in my mind, and maybe you guys are interpreting it differently is 50 points offense, max 50 points defense, max. Yes. I'd probably give the offense like 40 and I'd give the defense maybe 10. So overall we have a, a 40 to 50 point squad. And I, and I think to win a Super Bowl, you probably need to be 80 and above. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that is a way to cut it. So um... I don't know if that answered the question the way you wanted it to. But okay, that's how so, I thought so you, of it. Let, let, I think we can work with that. So you're saying the offense is is 40 out of 50 possible, 50 being a perfect offense. Sure. And the defense is what, did you say? I, I gave them 10. 10 out of 50. Okay. Um, Nathan, where are you on this? Actually, Using the same kind of scoring mechanism. I want to know where Dana is because Dana looks so mad right now. <laughs> oh, no, you're not. No. Okay. <laughs> No, no, Maybe no. it was just the sound of Evan's voice that you on edge. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> she wouldn't be alone. She wouldn't be alone. That's okay. Fair. Okay. Uh, I was I was thinking like 35-40 for the offense is uh, so kind of same as Evan there, and then like a 15 for the defense. Um uh so what does that put him at? Like a, a 50, a 55. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Dana, how about you? I want to know. Can we give points and then subtract them for coaching? <laughs> Not, yet. Like, Not okay. yet. Let's keep this okay. simple so we at least have, have an apple. Okay, if apples. we're just looking at the players at the, and yeah. their talent levels and well, what so, so, we know. Sorry, let me, let me just be clear. The offense isn't just the players. It is also the coaching and how it's schemed and how they're – like the, all the things that go into the offense being good or bad, players, scheme, coaching, all factors in. So – with that in mind, how would you grade the offense and the defense out of 50 points? I, I agree with the 40. I might even, depending on the day, go up to 45 for offense. I think it's just, it just needs to be, is the run game on? You know, so it's hard to say overall, but from what we've seen this season, let's go from that. Um, I would probably say 40 for offense because I think they've actually played really well on offense. Um, defense. <laughs> On paper, they should be much better than they are. But I don't think they're near as bad as the boys say. I would probably say 25 for the defense right now. I would. Excuse I really me? Would. No, listen. You have to listen. 
because this is the defense we saw at the beginning of last year. And remember the defense we saw at the end of last year. And so I think the possibility is there. And so I'm going to say, I'm going to say 20 to 25. I think this is a, you know, 65, 70 point team. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is, this is all, you know, meaningless numbers, but it helps to kind of clarify where people stand on this thing. I, I'm closer to Dana on the offensive side, although actually, no, sorry, maybe not. Um, Cause I think you were higher. So I'm more like 30 to 35 on the offense. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm lower than definitely lower than anyone else in our chat, no doubt about it. And probably lower than most other fans. I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Um, I would say that defense I'm similar to to Evan and Nathan. I'd say it's around 10. Um, You know, if I'd said 90, let's say 80 is a Super Bowl contender. I I think that the Seahawks are in the 50 range, Um, somewhere, you know, 45 to 50 range. I think they're they're pretty far from a Super Bowl contender. You know, maybe 60 is a playoff contender, maybe 65. So so like, it's not that they're, you know, completely out, but I I think they're pretty far off. So, Let's go into that a little bit. Like, I think we're all in agreement about the defense being a problem. Um, So let's take a few minutes and talk Mm -hmm. about it. Uh, Is it hopeless? Are there things that you guys see that can actually change that can make this defense credible? Um, Let's start with you, Dana. The things that you're looking at that, that you feel like, correct this, take this step, improve here, and the defense is going to take a step forward. Obviously, the easiest answer to that is you have to fix your cornerback situation. I think that that is probably the most glaring point. And and as Evan ranted about at his post game thing, you know, we have been pounding the table for the cornerback position for since the offseason. He's absolutely right about that. And that's the only time I'm going to tell him he's right today. But so I think somebody that, clip that clip that moment right there. <laughs> it won't happen again. Um, but. Um, so I think that that's the obvious, most glaring need. And I know a lot of people are looking to Sidney Jones to see whether or not he can kind of step up that play a little bit. Um, people have been complaining a lot online about Jamal Adams. I actually don't mind the way they use Jamal Adams. I just don't think they've had the opportunity to use him the way they want because of the game script being so off and timing being so off and those issues there. Um, I don't think the line is terrible, but pass rush has got to step up a little bit too. And I think if we got that pass rush to bump up a little bit, got new cornerback play and then for Jamal Adams to be a little more Jamal Adamsy, I, I think that they would maybe they would move up in a lot of people's minds are they gonna be top five defense no that's not this team but they could definitely be better yeah and, and so Nathan I mean one of the things that I believe realistically I still believe realistically can happen um, with this defense is that defensive line, I think, is capable of a better pass rush than we've seen the last two games. Um, they were really, really strong the first game and um, have not been nearly as strong the last two. And part of the reason I'm optimistic there is I think guys like Alton Robinson were getting eight snaps in the first, 10 snaps in the first game and 15 or 20 in the second game. And he got 42 snaps in this last game. And was, if not the highest grade, I think he was the highest graded Seahawk by Seahawk, by PFF on defense, but he was up there. Um, and so he and Daryl Taylor, I, I think, have upside. And I think Daryl Taylor had another strong pass rushing performance in this game. It wasn't necessarily dominant, but by PFF standards, it was. It was over 90. It was an elite grade. So 
that's his second out of three games to have an elite grade pass rush. That's pretty encouraging, um, even despite all the other miseries. So, and Carlos Dunlap has done nothing. Do I think that Carlos Dunlap is so washed he's going to be like a zero the rest of the year? No, I, I don't. I think I think he is going to be productive. So I, I think that there's some potential for that pass rush to improve. And I have much more confidence that that could help the cornerbacks than anything else could help the cornerbacks. So that's probably my most optimistic, you know, thought about that. The other thing I'd throw out there is they're just not playing as a group. They really are out of sorts. And so we have seen before some situations where the defense is totally discombobulated and then they start to trust each other at some point, or they get the right guys in that are assignment correct. And you have fewer of these like fake, you know, screw ups. Um, so, so those are the two things I feel like are possible that could happen um, to improve the defense. Where so are me, you? Yeah, let's go ahead, Evan. I, I just want to follow up on something you said, Brian. I agree with you. I think there's, I think it's definitely possible that this defense improves as the season goes on. I don't think that's unrealistic at all, but can they do it fast enough? Because it's a race against time right now. We are just talking about this before the show began. They have two huge games in the next eight days. If they drop both, they're basically not making the playoffs. Almost certain. Can the offense get its communication issues or can the defense get its communication issues all everything they're struggling with, can they improve it that quickly? Can they improve the cornerback situation that quickly? I don't know if they can. I don't, I, I, I think, I don't, I don't know how much the Seahawks can improve their cornerback situation at this point. Like, well, like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? What are they going to trade? They're going to trade for some overpriced veteran and, and uh, give away some gonna... draft picks. I don't think they're going to do that. And I, I think we've talked about that a little bit in the chat. Um, I mean, I, I know Dana brought up uh, Stefan Gilmore and, you know, I think he would be out till week six, but, you know, would they make, I, I personally don't think that they're going to spend draft picks. I think it would be a mistake to spend significant draft picks yeah. on a veteran for a team that looks like it may be not good enough to compete right now. And I, I think that they need to be thinking about the future, but we can debate that um, at a later point if we want. The cornerback situation is what it is. They've got John Reed and they've got Sidney Rice as in-house options that they've been talking about that they traded for and that they're going to give opportunity to at some point. And either they're going to help or they're not. And then there's just general improvement. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything else. I don't know, uh, Nathan, any thoughts that you have on that front? Well, I mean, uh, as bad as Flowers is and can be, I mean, we've seen him be exceptionally bad at times, like the uh, Green Bay playoff game. Um, admittedly matched up against like Devontae Adams on a lot of that. But um, I don't think anyone thought he was going to be like one of the worst players, one of the worst defensive players in the league or something like that coming into the season, right? We all considered him to be Below I'm, not, I'm not saying I thought that, but I think there's a lot of Seahawks fans that are raising their hand like now, like, yes, I totally thought he was okay, sure. the worst player in the league. Uh, yeah. I mean, but like we all felt like he was a solidly below average yeah. player, yes. right? Yes. And so I think, yeah. you know, and and he obviously um, had some comments after the game about, you know, confusion. And um, the one thing I'll say in his defense there is he's not new to this defense, right? Um, that's in his defense. 
I don't it, think it, he doesn't it, understand it, what he's supposed to be. Like, I, it's in his defense, yeah, because he isn't just new here. He's not like, uh, he, he understands how the systems are supposed to work, I would think, for as long as he's, he's been, been here. He's been here four years. Right. And so what I'm saying is if if a veteran effectively at this point is saying that there's confusion between the, the players and everything, I don't think that's just one player not knowing where he's supposed to be, right? I think Did this you guys is a- see Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs in the first quarter uh, just tear into Cody Barton? No. Oh. What happened? Oh, it was a play near the goal line, and they I can't remember the exact play, but – guy was left open over the middle and they just both like ripped into him like (laughs) like it was not pretty and it usually doesn't show up but it was like okay yeah this isn't good so i think um i mean i I think that there i think there's absolutely room for them to simplify this defense get back to what they've done in the past and see market improvement just from players knowing where they're supposed to be on the field right um now i I mean i don't know there's there's all kinds of things happening here like you can see like how out of sorts this defense is just by watching bobby um i think you see him making a lot of mistakes and false steps and i think you can probably chalk a lot of it up to him trying to compensate for players around him that he doesn't have trust in um so you know Maybe that's confusion, though, too. So I, I, I don't think Bobby's probably too confused, but who knows, right? So I, I don't know. I think they're probably, they can probably just take, like, throw half of the defensive playbook out, you know, go back to step one, just make sure everyone's where they're supposed to be and, and hope for the best and at least try to get rid of this the you know, miscommunication stuff. Yeah, you know, Dana, I think uh... – Nathan, you guys have go back long enough. Evan, you're a zygote, so you, you, you don't. But um, we've seen even like in the late 90s Seahawks with uh, Jim Johnson, who was the linebackers coach, and this was then Dennis Erickson was the head coach, and they were among the lead leaders in turnovers. They, they did have a great corner in Sean Springs and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things they just did is they were super aggressive. They, they, they just leaned forward in how they played. They blitzed a shit ton and they rolled up their corners and sometimes they got beat, but they were always leaning forward. And I think that um, we've even seen in the 2014 Seahawks when they lost to the Chiefs and they went six and four at that point. There was a players meeting and they then talked to the coaches and part of what they were talking about from a defense perspective is they wanted to be more aggressive. And I think that what Pete has been clear about since he got here, it's part of his his book, his philosophy is don't get beat over the top. You know, that's one of his big things. And he even said it again this week that, yeah, we were playing a little bit conservatively. We didn't want to let them get behind us. They've got great receivers. But then they just get beat for eight yards, you know, time and time and time again. And so I guess what I'm getting at is personally, and I think from the player's perspective, I think a chance for them to get better and at least be the best that they can be, whatever that's going to look like, is to roll up those freaking corners, press, blitz, be like, be more of a risk-taking defense. I don't know if there's any realistic chance they're going to do that because that's not who Pete is, but I would rather them to get beat leaning forward and beating teams up than 
just rolling back and giving teams 16 play drives for 15 minutes and giving the offense like two possessions. Like, what are your thoughts on that, Dana? You know, I think, I think that we've seen that out of the defenses of the Pete Carroll defenses in the past, but it's not for a whole season. Like you see it in certain games, you see it in certain situations where they will just push and push and push. And that usually is, you know, we, we see it for maybe a quarter or something. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. The thing of it is, and we're seeing it in the NFL, I mean, it's how the Browns are playing football right now. Hello, Miles Garrett. I mean, that's what you usually just running at everybody. Right. And so I think what needs to happen is they need to assess where their true issues are and trust their veterans, right? So if you've got shitty corners, you push them forward, do what they need to do, keep them at the line, you know, push off, like, I'm sure you should just pop everyone at the line and it worked. Use that theory again and then trust Dunlap because I do think that he will snap out of whatever funk he's in. So except for don't ever let him throw baseball again. I don't know if you guys saw that. That was crazy. It was <laughs> terrible for a pitch. But I think that, you know, trust them, trust Jamal, trust, trust that safety groups, trust your linebackers to deal with whatever is left more toward the middle. But do my question then back to you is, do you trust that line to contain what it needs to contain and push as hard as they can? Because we just said we weren't seeing a lot of pass rush. And so is that by design? Is that by fault of player? Like it makes you wonder, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I do want to hear from Nathan and Evan, you guys, managed to not answer the question about how the defense can improve. Nathan, uh, Evan, you quickly turned to whether they can do it fast enough. But I do want to hear, like, what are the things you think are possible to make the defense better? Um, I just want to throw out in a quick response to, to Dana's question. My interpretation of part of the reason that the pass rush disappeared in the Titans game is I think that Pete and Ken Norton put together a, a plan to focus on stopping Derrick Henry. They did not want the line to get too far upfield and potentially have him break a big run. So I think they were very focused. They had that package, that base defense out there a lot, which is not as much pass rush focus. So I think that was partially impacted by the coaching and how they chose to go about that game for what it's worth. Um, so, but, but, but Nathan and, and, and Evan, um, what are your thoughts about like, you know, you're given opportunity to go in there and say, Hey, Ken Norton, do this, and the the Seahawks defense will improve. What would you What would you say, Nathan? Let's start with you. Yeah, I, I think it's it's simplify. Um, you know, I, I think the way that this defense like leans forward and plays fast is is different than like obviously like a Jim Johnson defense would be like you said. Um, Seattle's not going to come up and just send a ton of guys. They're they're not built for that, right? If you ask Trey to cover. Uh, when, when you're blitzing like that, I mean, I think we've seen what that looks like and it's not good. Right. Um, so I would say simplify, let these guys do the things that they've been doing for years. And in, in most of these cases, um, play a more simple cover three, um, let Trey come up and press, um, do that, that kind of stuff. Try to just like run it like you did with the LOB and you don't have that talent and it's not going to look nearly as good, but I think that, you know, right now you're seeing guys just run into open space and, and have yards of separation um, and then watching defenders point at each other afterwards. And, you know, at least let these guys just have confidence in where they're supposed to be. I don't think that they know what they're supposed to be. I don't think they know where other people are supposed to be. Um, so just like 
play it really, really simple, really straightforward. And, you know, hopefully you can get these guys at least to have the confidence and communication and be assignment correct. Um, and then from, from there, you know, the talent is what the talent is. Evan, what's your, what's your, what's your uh, recipe for improving the Seahawks defense? Yeah, this is going to sound obvious, but I, I think it's important to say, I think our veteran leadership outside of Bobby Wagner needs to step up to the plate. Jamal Adams needs to start playing like the best safety in the NFL. Carlos Dunlap needs to start playing like he's still a credible pass rusher in this league. And we talk about, you know, all these like defensive kumbaya sessions that have happened in, in, in previous years. I think if there's going to be a change, it's going to be mostly player driven. Most likely I'm not, I don't have a ton of confidence, frankly, in uh, this defensive coaching staff. And I think if there's going to be a, a change or an improvement, Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams, and Carlos Dunlap are going to have to bring this locker room together. So um, I, I know that's Andre Diggs in that group as well. Sure. Sure. I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's a component of the game that we sometimes forget about is that momentum is real. Locker room emotions are real. Veteran <laughs> leadership is real. Like the shit matters. This shit has an impact. So Evan, there are people that are feeling physically ill. And anybody who's played sports in their freaking they're, life can tell playing, you momentum wait, listen, exists. Listen, I know it's a hard, hard thing. I'm going to work with you on this. I'm working with my, my puppy on things. I'm going to get you treats. And I'm going to figure out how to treat you on these things. So, so, so um, there are people physically ill in the chat because they're agreeing with you. Um, they're not used to that. So uh, you've got, you've got support. You've got support. I just want to make sure you heard. Those that. are my people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I think that, I think that's really well said, Evan. I, I honestly, jokes aside. And um, Jamal Adams I mean, part of the way a defense or any part of your, your, your team plays well is when your best players play well. And Jamal Adams has been absent. Like he just hasn't, whether it's because of how they, what they've asked of him or not, he has not been a difference maker yet this year. He just hasn't been. And he's being paid like a difference maker. He acts like a difference maker. You know, he's been recognized in the league as a difference maker and he's not making a difference right now. So I think, he's one of the first places you got to start. I think Bobby, at least you could say, I mean, Nathan, you're talking about Bobby making some false steps. Generally, I feel like Bobby's played pretty darn well, um, mm -hmm. at least closer to his level than most of the other people on the defense. Um, so yeah, I, I do think figuring out how to make Jamal Adams an actual weapon on defense, I like that's a big deal. A little nerve wracking thinking that the, the players have to figure out how to make that happen uh, versus the coaches. Um, I mean, do, yeah. when you when you watch Ken Norton press conferences, are you are you inspired with confidence and, you know and, and leadership that. ability? Do you believe that he's going to rally the veterans together in the locker room? Answer this, Dana. Do, do yeah. you think Ken Norton would be a defensive coordinator for any other team in the NFL? No. In fact, he was fired from the last one that he had. Here's the thing I don't get. And maybe you guys can explain this to me. The players, if you bring up Ken Norton, freaking love him. They just love him. They love what he brings to the table. They talk about him. He's so fantastic. But if he's not bringing you what you need to be successful, then why do they still love him so damn much? I don't understand it. I mean, sure, he could be a great guy. That doesn't make him a great coach. That's they're two totally different things. Do you know what the biggest mistake in Seahawks history is? Poaching him 
from the Niners almost hiring him like three or four years ago. Do you guys remember that? The Niners brought him in and like offered him a contract or something. And Seattle, it, it, yeah, it, there's a story behind it, but Seattle like poached him. Yeah. I, I don't know. But that, let's be let's yeah. be fair to Ken Norton Jr. I mean, Evan, you're asking, like, is he gonna go into the locker room and rally the team? Like, I think yes. Like, I, I think uh now, what does that mean in terms of how anyone plays? Well, the thing about the locker room confidence and momentum is it's not real. Uh so like <laughs> uh I don't know how much that actually matters on the field, but that's what Ken Norton does. I mean, he is a morale guy, he is a confidence booster, he I mean, I thought he was supposed to be a, a fundamentals and technique, you know, kind of the basics, right? And teaching guys how to to do all that stuff. I thought that was something he was supposed to be good at. We, it doesn't look that way. We don't see some of these guys growing maybe the way we would hope. Um, but the the players do love him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think he's like lost the locker room or anything like that. They have not had their annual Kumbaya session yet. So it doesn't count. Well, well wait, wait, wait. So, so I think... Ken Norton's an easy target. I don't know that. I mean, I've never been a fan of him as a defensive coordinator. I did not expect him to succeed in Las Vegas. Well, when it was Oakland and I didn't think he was going to do well here. And the reason that he got hired by Pete is because Pete was circling the wagons when he fired all his coaches and he wanted people that were basically going to run the system the way he wanted it run. And so I don't think Ken Norton Jr. was brought here because he has a scheme and he has a way that he wants to run the defense. He was brought here because he knows Pete's scheme and he will do what Pete tells him to do. And the fact of the matter is, if we look back at it, Pete's never hired a good defensive coordinator. Gus Bradley hired before Pete got here. Dan Quinn hired before Pete got here. Pete agreed to keep them on staff and I credit him for that. But the only defensive coordinators that he's hired have been what Chris Richard and, and, and Ken Norton jr. He brought Quinn back though. Quinn had left and he brought him back as defensive coordinator. Are you sure? Yeah. I don't think that's true. I think Dan Quinn was a defensive line coach. Was. Uh, and then he left the for Morgan. Florida, right? We can, we can double check that. One way or another. Right. Yeah. He was assistant head coach, defensive line coach. He went to Florida and was a defensive coordinator there for two years. And then Seattle hired him as a uh, defensive coordinator in 2013. Ah, right. But he, he had been, he came in 2010. He was a defensive line coach before he went to Florida. So, yeah, so Pete inherited him. Then he yes. left, and then Pete brings him back. Yes. Yes. That was my point. So yeah. Yes. I hear what you're saying. Sorry. Yes. That, that he, before he became a DC, he did leave and then came back, but he was brought to Pete by Jim Moore Jr., um, as was Gus Bradley. So I just think Pete deserves a lot of a lot of responsibility for – I give him a ton of responsibility for how good the defense became and the scheme he brought with him and his, you know, unconventional tall corners and – the you know the 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 defense that they've played over the years that was really iconic i don't think it's it's working anymore and i don't think that that ken norton jr to me he's not the lion's share of of the blame or responsibility it is pete um who i put put responsibility on the defense for any of you guys feel differently no i mean well i i don't know so this defense is a lot different than it was 
five years ago, right? Even probably a couple of years ago, you can probably find really big defenses or differences here. Like they've completely changed their defensive front. Basically. Um, I, I think you, there's, there seems to be a trend now in them changing the type of cornerback that they've gone after. Um, at this point, Trey flowers is the outlier outlier compared to, well, I guess, uh, Trey Brown is small. Trey Brown, small DJ Reed, small Ugo, small, um now austin is bigger i think warrior is small so you know you're at the point now where more of these guys look like justin coleman than they do richard sherman and maybe that's part of the problem right now is that they're stuck in between with a you know a a sherman type at least an archetype right and they they need to be moving to something else now dj reed didn't look particularly good against uh the vikings either so (laughs) i don't know how much to really give them that but like they are changing a lot now is that norton getting to do some stuff that he wants to do is that pete dictating it because the league's just changed over time you know who knows but i I don't think this team is lacking for creativity on the defensive side um they're certainly doing a lot of stuff with blitzing and you know last year with jamal adams they did more of it it seemed like um you know they're dropping Alton Robinson and Carlos Dunlap and Daryl Taylor into coverage consistently. They seem to want to do this thing where they have these like, yeah, the bear front and these Leo slash Sam hybrids that they can kind of do whatever they want with on a certain play. Um, So they're trying things. They're changing and growing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's Norton. And if it's Norton. Wait, wait, wait. They're changing. They're changing. Are they growing? I, I like, I don't know. I think I think so. Can I? Because everyone bitched during Legion of Boom. They were so simple. It was such a simple defense. They only did one thing. They only did one thing. And so maybe they took some of that to heart because it wasn't working after the Super Bowl years. And so then they dare are changing up. So is that growth? Probably. It, it's just not very good growth. Like they're just not getting it. You know what I mean? They're not playing it well. But you're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't, you keep it super simple, people bitch about that. You get more complicated and it doesn't go well, people bitch about that. What they just need to realize is that everyone bitches all the time. Well, that <laughs> that is, that's the perfect Dana, that's the clip right there. But, you know, just the, the point there on, on adaptation, Darwin would tell you, right? We all know, adapting doesn't mean survival. Mm. You need to adapt to have a chance to survive, but there's tons of adaptations that failed and mutations that failed and died off because they were bad. And I don't know that anything that they've adapted to that you can say is like, this has been clearly working. And it is hard to decipher how much of it is talent and how much of it is scheme. The scheme certainly is not hiding the talent deficiencies. It's not like, it's just not. It used to be that you could bring in anybody at cornerback and the Seahawks would look great. That's not happening anymore. And I think that there was a point where we talked about this in chat, but I'll bring it up here, where we talked about how the, the John and Pete used to revel. They loved to talk about how they were unconventional. Like the first thing Pete really talked about when Russell was given the starting position as a rookie, even though they signed flat Matt Flynn on the Brock and Saul try, I remember it clearly was he was like, we're unconventional. You know, we don't do whatever Valley Alice wants us to do. They loved drafting the tall corners when everyone else was short. They loved running a defense that nobody else was running. They loved everything they were doing that was different. The undrafted free agents, like, always compete. We're going to make a bunch of roster moves. But they've made so many obviously stupid decisions that they've been stubborn about that it's ended up catching up with them. Sticking with Tedrick Thompson and Leno Hill 
for all those years? Like, did they were just as obviously bad as Trey Flowers. Like, no, none of us at any point were like, well, I mean, KJ Wright was, but none of us were. So I don't know, like I, I, I could go on, but I, I, I tend to rant about these things. I just think that there's been a series of pretty catastrophic mistakes by Pete and John combined um, that have crippled the defense. And I think they put together what seems like a potentially talented defense this year, and it's falling on its face. And to Evan's point, they've got days to figure it out. Their tenure, their regime is probably, maybe it's not on the line. Maybe ownership doesn't feel that way at this point, but it could be depending on how this season finishes out. So they don't have much time to figure this out. And I, I think their best chance is, I hope they put, God, Sidney Jones. I know I said Sidney Rice earlier. I will definitely say Sidney Rice again, but Sidney Jones, um, you know, put him in, who knows? But they've they've got they've got to like pull out all the stops. Um, it's going to take their best coaching to do it. They have managed to come back from the brink before, not usually this early in the season. So it's going to be interesting. Um, we've been talking about the defense for a while, deservedly so. We can happily talk more about it. I know we're getting later in the show. Um, can we pause to take some Patreon Patreon questions? Is that you guys good with that for a few minutes? Yeah. We always say that for the end. Then we'll come back. I want to talk about the offense a little bit, and then we'll talk about this game coming up against the 49ers. Sound good? All right. Who has got the Patreon questions for us tonight? Evan, do you want to try to redeem yourself after last week? or Honestly, no. <laughs> okay. Um... While Nathan's pulling that up, just a reminder, patreon.com slash hawkblogger is how you get signed up. We've got hundreds of folks in the community now. You get immediate access to the Slack channel. We've been we've given away some great tickets to uh, Seahawks games. There'll probably be more giveaways, uh, and it goes for a good cause. So give the show a like, subscribe. We're over 7,000 subscribers. We're growing the show, and we're going to be in this together one way or another, however this goes, working our way through it um, as long as Dana puts up with us. So uh, with that, go ahead. All right, I'm going to start with um, Brandon O'Leary's question because it gives me a chance to toot my own horn a little bit. Um, he says, the NFL is often a week-by-week roller coaster. Uh, that being said, what was the biggest illusion behind the optimism that followed the week one wind over Indy? And I think maybe specifically we can focus on the, the defense. Um, uh, but I guess either way, um, I mean, I felt the defense, I, I didn't have any hard takeaway on the defense. I think people got a little excited about the defense after that first game, but that Colts offense is pretty atrocious. Um, so I, I didn't know that there was a lot of, uh, cause for optimism after week one. Um, but, uh, Brian, you were pretty big on the defense after that Colts win. What is it when you look back, like what has changed? Is there anything that you feel differently about? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that if you look at the Colts performance, what the Seahawks did there is they, they kind of hit almost everything that you wanted to see. You saw a pass rush and not just us on this show, but nationally film analysts, PFF, like there was a lot of people, like if the Seahawks have this kind of pass rush, they're a contender. Like that's how, how impressive it was coming from different players. Five different players had three pressures or more like, it was great. Um, and we, we saw players like Alton got three pressures in like 10 snaps. So um, that was great. I think Jordan Brooks was actually really good in that game, both coverage wise and, and in run support. 
Jamal Adams was quiet in that game, but he was solid across the board. He, he made plays in coverage. He actually made a play that was a sack, um, and it was a bad call. He was offsides. Nathan's wrong about that. Um, and and so everything like looked like uh, Bobby was great. I, everything was going as according to plan or better than plan in that game. And that offensive line, actually, even though they're missing their left tackle, had some really good players. Quentin Nelson battled Aaron Donald, you know, a week later, you know, uh, back and forth. So that was that was part of what was a reason for optimism. And I think the pass rush really falling off the face that, the, that they played so badly against a Titans team. And, and I get some of it was coaching, but some of it was the players and they didn't do it again against a Minnesota line that has some really significant issues on the center and left guard and left tackle and just did not impact the game enough. And then Jordan Brooks has fallen off the face. Marquise Blair was a guy that we all thought could be a real impact player. The team talked up as an impact player. And we, we, I think we believed he could be an impact player He's not even a player like Ugo Amadi's had to step in because Blair's made so many mistakes. And then Jamal Adams has been a absent. So, I mean, like those are all things that have happened in the last two weeks that I don't know that I would have, I personally had no expectation that the Titans game was going to go that poorly for them. I thought, yeah. So, so those are the things that would change. I could go on, but, but that that's the new information we have. And, and that's what we're trying to cope with right now. All right, Dana, I've got one for you from Troy okay. Fagan. Um, it's a two-parter, and one part I think you'll like, and the other part I don't know. Uh, okay. So how confident are you that Pete, and we talked about this a little bit, but uh, that Pete and Ken Norton Jr. will figure out how to use Jamal Adams appropriately to get him back to like that Jets all-pro level? And uh, do you still think that the price tag, uh, what they traded for him, what they paid for him, is worth the upgrade over, say, a Ryan Neal? You guys are going to be pissed at my answer, but the answer to the second part is yes. Sorry. I still think that he can be an impact player. Bitch at me only one. I don't care. I, I want to say this. I, I, I want to answer the question. Then I want to say one thing about the Colts. So um, I do have faith. Let me look at it this way. There, I have a friend who uh, we used to do a pick em show together. And she always says, until they prove me wrong, I'm going to continue to pick the Patriots when Tom Brady was there to win the Super Bowl. And I feel that way about Pete Carroll and this defensing staff until they prove me wrong. They've managed to wiggle out of these holes in the past, right? They've all managed to do it. They did it last year. We've seen it do them a couple of years ago. They start out in a hole. They manage to wiggle out. Are, are they, are they winning Super Bowls? No, but they get the team back to a functioning well, you know, mid-level because it's not ever been great right okay I get that so yes I still have faith that they can do that um with the whole defense Jamal Adams is a he's an odd duck of a player and so we they were using him and blitzing him and he was always you know trying to get to the pass right or get to the quarterback last year and people bitched I'm gonna have a theme today people and people bitched right and so then they're using him more, you know, in coverage and they're like, oh, we don't like that. Use him like he's special. So they bitch. So I think that they're trying to find where he can help. But the problem is they can't really focus on him until they get some of these other problems fixed. Do you know what I mean? They have to focus on the, the squeaky wheel and let Jamal just kind of do his job to what he can do right now. So the answer is yes and yes on that. I want to remind everyone about the Colts and they're not so great offense. They only lost to the Rams by a field goal. And so I think the difference when you talk about that 
is scheme in that first game. They knew if you screwed up with, you know, with Carson Wentz's head, he doesn't play well. And they backed off of that from that first game to the other few games. They were so worried about coverage. They weren't worried about getting to the quarterback. So I think that that's the difference in that one. Sorry. That's a great point. Yeah. Great point. Um, Evan, Derek Woods wants to know you, uh, which defensive position group needs to improve the most in week four for the Hawks to win. Corner. If you can pick one to improve, is it corner that you improve or do you improve pass rush? I think it's corner. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, uh, Brad Millet, I don't know if it's Millet or Millet, but I'm going with Millet. Um, he says, let's have a happy question. Uh, let's all go, go around the table and say one thing that gives us the most optimism for this team. And I'm going to rush out and give the obvious, easy answer. It's Russell Wilson. Clearly, he is the biggest reason for optimism on this team. Okay, This Brian. is a horrible question. Who asked this question? I love this question. <laughs> uh, did I say Brandon? It's Brad. I don't know. Sorry, Brad, if I messed up. Sure, it wasn't Dana. Does Dana have a? To me, no, this I don't person, have her. This person <laughs> does have uh, some amazing hair that is not dissimilar to Dana. <laughs> so I can't. But I want to say, Brad, my friend. I asked them to do this exact same thing in chat today because I that's how pissed oh, I was. I got one. <laughs> so I said they were going to do Okay, it. but Dana, you tell us that every week. <laughs> <laughs> you never do it. All never. right, well, we're doing it now. We're doing it now. Okay, oh. Brian, you have to say something nice. Oh, something that makes me most optimistic? Well, yeah, yep. Um, honestly, the most optimistic thing I would say is that we have seen them here before. We've seen their backs against the wall multiple times in multiple years, as recently as last year. And they have been able to circle the wagons and figure something out and look like a different team. And I don't, yes, it matters who you're playing for sure, but they seem to have, you know, at times done it against really good competition as well. So, um, that plus the fact that like, we'll talk about it for this week, but Pete's actually had Kyle Shanahan's number for the most part, as much as we talk about Sean McVay having Pete's number, uh, the same has been true for Pete and, and, and Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers in general. So yeah, I, I think that would be the hope is that the team knows what's going on. They know what's at stake. We're going to get their best focused effort. And, and if they can win these next two games, it's a different conversation. You know, the season's back open for them and they, they can start dreaming again. This is the optimism section, so I'm not going to mention that Pete also had Mike Zimmer's number. So we'll just move on from, from that. Uh, Evan? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just super grateful. Um, I, I've been thinking about this all week. you say Frank, Jason Myers, I swear to God, he's cost Be it honest. Give a genuine answer, you asshole. Right I know where he's going. How do I do it? I'm just so Zoom grateful that Evan. 41 out of 42 times, no. Good Lord. Jason Myers Good has Lord. been successful over the past year and a half. So yeah. I, I just want you to know, no, I want you to think about this for a second. We have not discussed the failings of Jason Myers in over a year and a half. So go fuck yourselves. He's an amazing kicker, extreme value, Evan. extreme talent. Evan, the Seahawks would be 3-0 with a different kicker. He has been bailing be out and Pete with a different for a kicker. Year. In a half. 
they a would be three and zero with a different kicker. I, I'm just I'm just learning to be. There's never been a kicker grateful. that has cost the Seahawks as much as Jason Myers has in three games this season, and we might look back and say Jason Myers was the fall of this empire. It was Pete Carroll's That's fault how for bad not going he for is. two. If if you're gonna if you're gonna complain about the extra points. Yeah. The optimism is just oozing right now. No, sorry. Go up. <laughs> Dana Savas. Dana Savas. <laughs> answer genuinely, you bastard. That was my answer. No, it's not. Okay. Um, He's not capable, Brian. He's just not. <laughs> yes, he is. DK Metcalf is looking good again. Like maybe he, maybe he's uh, returning back to form. Okay. Uh, that would be a good thing. We will accept that for an answer. All right, Dana. All right, so it's optimism about this coming up week. Is that what it was? Uh, I just, got lost in Evan's rant. Just the team, the team. The team in general. Sure. Um, I think it has to be, um, I, I think it has to be whether people are happy about it, and I know that Brian is not real happy with it right now, but I think it has to be the, the, the flashes we've seen from this offense with it being so new. And that first game, I said it after the game, it was so smooth. It was so pretty. And granted, it was the Colts, and I'll give them that. But again, three points to the Rams, people. That's what I'm saying. And so, you know, I think that, um, I think that that's what kind of gives me hope. It's like even if the defense only gets a little bit better, I think this offense is just going to get better and better and better. They just have to get their asses on the field and actually be there to make it happen. Um, all right. Uh, let's take one more if there's one, if there's, Oh, one more, one more. Okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, there's some good ones in here, but I'm gonna go with, uh, if if you think there's a couple more, we can take maybe two more. Well, okay. So real quick. So Robin Slari asks if we have any, uh, inside sourced up information about significant changes at, uh, that are afoot coaching staff, personnel, play personnel, anything like that. Uh, I don't know if anyone has any sourced information they want to drop or if anyone just caught want to cause their shot on a change they think Seattle will make over the next couple of weeks. That's maybe a little bit more significant than like, say, Sidney Jones starts this weekend. I still think they're going to sign Gino. Okay. I don't share I think any there's... sourced information. <laughs> I, that's so... not sourced. That's a gut feeling. I just, I think that that they're they're still going to sign Geno Atkins. I think they're just trying to figure out how, what, when, where, and why. I think that that's. But I still think that, and if it's not Geno, I still think they add a veteran at some point. They did just uh, officially sign Kambiche, uh, uh, right? They did. And yeah, Dorsett. but he was on the. Yeah. Oh, Philip Dorsett. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there is a rumor of a pending extension. Uh, Jason Myers is oh entering the second to last oh year of his God. deal. Just can't mute his. 2022 is the last year of the deal. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay. So I think the answer is I think we're all think they're pretty much going to uh, stay Sam Pat. Maybe, maybe Atkins would be uh, an addition. Okay. DJ Burnett. Um, I'm going to. So the next four games at San Francisco, uh, home against LA, at Pittsburgh, and home against New Orleans. Uh, each of you, what do you think their record will be? And what do you think their record needs to be? Uh, and needs in this sense, we'll say to, you know, be able to make the playoffs, uh, reverse order, Dana, um, what is it going to be? What does it need to be? You're muted. Dana. You're mute, Dana. How, what, what number of games again? I'm sorry. The next four. So at San Francisco home against LA at Pittsburgh home against New Orleans. 
I think they're going to win three of the four. And that should Pittsburgh be more looks than like, to Yeah, what? Well, yeah, that, that, that'll be more than enough to set them on, on a path. To make oh, them. for sure. Pittsburgh looks like absolute dog crap. We're going to have to talk about that when that game comes up. But oof, that, that's rough out there right now. And I think New Orleans is still a little hit or miss. I think they're playing well, but they're not playing well enough. And I think by then this team is going to kind of have its wheels greased a little bit at that point. So I, I, they're not beating the Rams in any way, shape, or form. But I do think they can beat San Francisco. Evan? You're, You're on muted. Well. You're What's muted. going on with you? Oh my God, I'm a millennial. Evan and Dana too. are actually the uh, same person. People don't know this, and they, they would never <laughs> really de- they would deny it till their grave. But they're the same yeah, person. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, I think they need to win three uh, to stay in the playoff hunt, and I think they're going to win two. I don't think they're going to beat the Rams. Um, not a chance in hell. But I could see them dropping one other game. I, I'm I'm fairly optimistic about this Sunday, though. So we'll get to that. Uh, I think they lose three or four. Um, it would not shock me if they lost four or four. Uh, I think that. Um, wow. I think. Yeah, that, it, it, Brian's being dramatic. <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not. What like, game do you feel most confident in out of the next four? See, what the audience here game. doesn't know is that Brian is a big Ben stand. Uh, and still has uh, full faith in Ben Roethlisberger. So uh, I, I think winning at Pittsburgh is much harder than people on this Mm-mm. pod might admit. Um, <laughs> have you seen this team? Yeah. Oh. Um, so uh, have you seen our team? <laughs> yeah, we played no, real teams. Honestly, and, like, I mean, honestly, come on. This is, this is not a good team right now. This is a, this is a 500 at best team, the way they're playing right now. Um, There's and, no such thing. What do you think they need to do here? To, to keep their playoff hopes alive? I think the, the, the games that really matter are the three NFC games. They got to win the three NFC games. If they drop the game at Pittsburgh, that would be crazy for whatever reason, like, as you guys are talking about. But um, so far, they've lost one NFC game. Um, so I, I think that from a playoffs perspective, you got to do well there. And there's two division games in there. So the most, most important are the next two games. I think... Mm-hmm. Anything other than winning both of those games, I think is going to be setting the season up for being at best middling. Um, so I think they have to get to three and two in the next seven, eight days um, for them to have a chance at a, a meaningful season. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think that they, I kind of think they need to win three Um the back half is easy enough, though, that they can definitely make up ground there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do think they win two or three even. I don't think for them to get three out of this is crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, if all right. Look at their, if you look at their schedule right now, I think, honestly, at most, at most, five of their games, the rest of the way, they'll be favored. That, that's where this is. I mean, and I think anything else is very homerish. Like, it's um, not homerish. It just changes game to game. So, do you still think they'll only be favored for five games if they manage to beat San Francisco and Pittsburgh? And I mean, then the favors change. Yes, that that's yeah. absolutely true. So, so, Dana, if they play better, of course that changes things. Okay. But I, I think with the as is right we now, have the information we have, right? And right. so that's fair. Um, I'm basing it off of what we've seen so far. I was talking about that they were playing like a legitimate Super Bowl contender in the first week. And that looks 
silly right now, but I stand by what I said. I thought they were doing all the things they needed to do. Mm-hmm. I stand by what I say now. I think they're doing very few of the things that they need to do. And I think the offense is getting a pass from a lot of folks. Um, I really do. I don't think the offense is terrible. And I know it's second in, in football outsiders and, and all that stuff. I, I know all those things. Um, I think that, that this team is, is among the worst in third down conversions. I think they're getting into a lot of third downs and that can be both because of the players and because of the coaching and this, and the plays that are being called, but they're not converting. They're not sustaining drives and they're putting a lot more pressure on this defense and the defense is not good enough to hold up to it. And it is not okay for this team to go quarters at a time without putting together a single drive that matters um, or to have drives that are only four or five plays or three plays like this offense. Like, yes, if the defense played a little bit better, the Seahawks could be three and zero right now. I think that's one way you could look at this. I think another way to look at this is if the defense was playing a little bit better and the offense played exactly as they're playing, I don't think they have, I personally don't think they have that much um, to go for. Uh, I don't think they're going to go that far uh, in the season or in the playoffs. I I think that this offense is what's going to have to carry them there. I think this offense has to be a 45 out of 50 to, to really be a contender. I don't think they're anywhere close to being that. I really don't. So um, it's, it's probably a rabbit hole to get into that, but I, I, I think that people take it as, especially in our chat, I, I, I push, I push on Russell and I don't push on Russell because Russell's bad, or I think Russell sucks, or I don't like Russell. Russell's the number one rated quarterback in the entire NFL right now from passer rating perspective. He's, he's thrown no interceptions. The offense has one turnover the whole year. Like there's a lot of things they've scored at least 17 points in the first half of every game. Like there's a lot of things that are really good there, but I look at the way this team's constructed and Russell has to be at or near an MVP caliber player for them to be a Super Bowl contender. And MVP caliber players do not let their defense hang out on the dry, uh, to, to dry, you know, for multiple games against inferior defenses. Minnesota and Tennessee are not good defenses and uh, they haven't played a good defense yet this year. So I I just think that we need more from the best player on the team, the best quarterback in the history of the franchise. And we need more from the offense, which includes Waldron figuring out ways to improve it. But like they can't, they cannot put this much on the defense and hope to be good. But they're not, I mean, they, they scored 30 points against Tennessee. How is that hanging their defense out to dry? You really want to get back to the Tennessee game? And I'm just saying, like, they, I mean, you say they can't the go defense, quarters. A, like, you, you say they can't go probably quarters. another hour conversation. I mean, you really <laughs> don't think that they left. The, the defense made multiple stops. The offense had to do very little to seal that game. They made multiple stops. Didn't they give up, like, 22 points in the second half? Yeah. They, they were leading 24-9 going into halftime. And yeah, the offense dried up. But wow, like they this is very 30, revisionist. They scored 30 points. Wow, what is revisionist? People, this <laughs> is very hesitant to go further into day. this because this is going to go on for the whole night. We don't agree on this. They absolutely had opportunity, and from my perspective, to end the Tennessee game multiple times. Yeah, if they had done can't... anything other than – they had literally had one play that entire half that was – a credible play 
And it was because Tennessee had massive blown coverage. They scored 30 points, though. Like, Against how is that hanging out? Four in the first half and six in the second. You scored 30 points. You should win most games. Yeah. And that so it was like, not enough to win that game. And we knew it. I, we knew it going into that game that the defense was had their hands full. The offense didn't do enough. I mean, of course, I, I, we were talking about this. Every time you lose, like, I mean, are we saying that Tyler Lockett wasn't good enough in the, in the Titans game? No. But they didn't, he didn't do enough. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's where you are. Like, you know, Tyler Lockett needed to do more in the Titans game. You know, 12 catches for 180 yards wasn't good enough. And yeah, because the defense is the opposite of that. As good as that is, the defense is that bad, right? I mean, you say that they can't go quarters at a time without, without scoring. They had one possession in the third quarter against the Vikings. Like, th- there's just a lot of context here that gets, like, smooth. After over. they scored their 17 points against the Vikings, how many did they score after that? Zero. How many they possessions had, did they have? They had two possessions. No, how many possessions after they had 17 points? Uh, well, they missed a field goal. And then they had one possession in the third quarter. And then they and had what happened on those two field goal tries? Did they have opportunity to score more points there? Or did they screw up by not converting? I mean, but like, this is where we're at. We're like field goals. You, you can't have a field goal drive. Like, that's not a reasonable expectation of any offense. It is a reasonable expectation when there's plays to be made to make the plays. They, they've not gone up against a good defense yet. It's insane. 17 say, points against that defense is not is, enough. It is insane to say, oh, you only had a field goal drive. You can't have any of those. That's not like, what I'm saying. But you are. like that. You're saying that. I'm not saying that. Well, then what is the point of bringing up like, oh, could they have done more? You could always do more. You could always, like every offense could score a touchdown every drive and then go for two and get it and then kick an onside kick. And like, I mean, like at what point does, like how far does that blame game go? Like it, it, it just, it, it doesn't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how that you can look at this team and say, well, the offense just needs to do more. Like they're, they're doing a lot. Yeah, I disagree. And, you know, we, we've, ha- we've had this conversation and I'm holding back from getting too far into this because I don't think we're going to resolve it. You and I see this differently. I'm okay hey, Can with I that. ask just one thing? Can I just ask yeah. one thing? Brian, and we'll end it on this. How would you grade the offense today? Th- through three I already weeks? told you that. Like on a, but like an A through F, F, F sort of schedule. I'd give them a B plus. Okay. That's all I wanted. I was just curious. Yeah. I, I think, I, let, let me say this. Brian is very passionate about wanting the offense to do more. We've been talking about it for the whole week. Okay. And so I, I understand where you're coming from. I really, I, I agree with Nathan on this. And I said that before. I think that, that that's kind of the wrong focus to have. But at the same time, I think the whole point of all of this is that the team in general needs to be better in general. It needs to be a more well-rounded you know, team, the offense needs to do its part. The defense needs to do its part. And when one of the two parts isn't working, the other one needs to step up a little to keep it, keep it even. And I think that's just kind of a logical approach. So it makes sense that you would be frustrated, Brian. I get exactly what you're saying, Nathan. And so I think we just kind of. The problem I have with this guys is like, it's such a small sample size. And I think this conversation like changes pretty significantly if they have Maybe even one more possession in the second half, and they score. What if they were two and one? 
I, I, I just think the sample is really small here. It, it doesn't feel worth arguing about because I think I think the offense is going to resolve their second half scoring concerns. I, does anybody here believe that the offense isn't going to resolve that sort of second half scoring issue down the stretch? Okay. It, it, it just feels. Nathan, how you doing? Evan, how's your day? <laughs> Am I wrong though? No, I'm you're not wrong. Not. I think like, they'll fix it. Like this conversation changes. I think if they have one more possession or, or I don't know. I don't know. I, I, think, I think it was they had plenty of possessions in Tennessee. It didn't change. Okay. It wasn't a possession okay. problem in, against the Titans. They didn't, okay. they didn't do it. So I, I think this notion that like, I think this is, you know, this is why I'm hesitant to get into it because I think there's just about every aspect of the Seahawks has underperformed from players to coaches to, to front office. And the offense has underperformed the least out of those groups. And so I totally understand why folks are like, why are you, why are you talking about the, the offense? And it has nothing to do with saying, we spent 45 minutes of this show talking about the defense and there's no hesitation about how bad the defense um, has been. It's not, it's not trying to deflect blame away from how bad the defense is or how bad the coaching has been. That, none of that's the case. But when I look around the league and I look at teams that are Super Bowl contenders, like year after year, and they have quarterbacks that are the best player on their team and they're the ones that are expected to lead, what I see are teams that their offense picks up their defense on a regular basis and their mm -hmm. offense continues to score and their offense is irrepressible. Like they, you know, you look at them and you're like, how do you stop this offense? fact of the matter is the Seahawks offense has been stopped for large stretches of time one way or another. And we can say the defense didn't give them enough possessions and that's fair for this one game. I think that's a, that's a fair question, but there's also a question of, well, the offense, did, did they sustain a drive? Did they take the opportunities they were given to change the rhythm of the game and give the defense a break and give the defense a chance to, to step forward? I think there's been a lot of chances for the offense to do that in the last two games. And I don't think that they've done it. And it's a high bar. I, I think there's a higher bar for the offense than there is for the defense. And, and I just don't think they've reached it. So this is what happens when your team's one and two and you were hoping that they'd be better. But um, can, can, can I can I can I just kind of put a little cap on this? I, I did a little looking today. OK, and the Seahawks started in 1976, correct? They did not have a double-digit win season until 1984. Okay, why are you rolling your eyes at me, Evan? Yeah, they're sending each other chats privately, so so keep going. No, it has nothing to do with you, Dana. See, this is why I love him so much. Okay, so 12 in 1984. Then they did have 10 wins in 1986. They did not have a double-digit win season again until 2003. Okay, 86 to 2003. Then they had a couple hit or miss years, right? We know that. And then we get to the Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson era. But this is where I want you to just have a little faith. Because since 2012, there's only been one season that they haven't made it to double-digit wins. Now, does that mean they won't? They might not this year. But right now, three games in, there is no reason to completely, to have no faith in them figuring this out. 
They have, have never given us a reason to not think they won't figure this out. Okay, so I have a question. Will you have the same perspective if Shocking. you lose the next two games? Well, no, because then they'll be, okay. what, one and four? Okay, but no. I told you this today, Evan. I'm going to tell you that again, and now it's our <laughs> turn to fight. You will not make me, you will not break me. I don't want you to I'm break. I'm so tired of you telling me you're Dina, trying to figure out how to break me. Dina, I don't no, want I'm you sick to of break. It. No, Evan, I'm sick of it. But here's the thing. I have lived with this team a hell of a lot longer than you have. Of and course. this is the best this team has been in any length of time. And so you can bitch about them all you want, your little 2008 when you showed up. But why have been there a lot longer? Dina, and I, am I was very born in 1995. No, Evan, to me. But you said me, you told me you started watching football in 2008. Yes, now I listen did. to me. Listen to me. I am There's listening. There's no reason to think they won't be able to figure it out because they have in the past. And so give them a minute. And if they don't figure it out, then definitely there need to be changes made. After 2017, where they won nine games, they did some tweaking. Was it Super Bowl level like everyone wants? No, but they got back up to their double double digit wins. They made it back to the playoffs. So let's just give them a minute to see if they can figure out how to fix this. They lose the next two, then no, they're probably not going to get to double digits. But can we make them, maybe let them play the game first? So if anybody watching had any doubt how much we care about the Seahawks, that should not be the case after this show. This has been, you know, these debates have been going on (laughs) nonstop not just this week, but over the past few years. And it runs deep. I think a lot of us care deeply about not just the Seahawks, but the folks that follow the Seahawks. And uh, I think we care about the narratives that are told about different folks related to the Seahawks and whether people are giving an opportunity for fans to actually have hope and faith and dream and feel like responsibility to give people reasons to feel that way and not shit on their hope and faith. And there's other people that feel like, my God, will you just speak the truth? Call out the problems, say that there's problems and don't try to spin everything and tell me what's real. Cause I'm frustrated and I want to see that you're frustrated. The fact of the matter is like, we all feel that there are folks that are like Pete Carroll truthers and Pete Carroll can do nothing wrong. And Pete Carroll is the guy that's given us the best, you know, period of time in franchise history. So he gets a ton of wiggle room. There's other people that are, Pete Carroll is washed and is done. And why are we still talking about him? And he should be gone. There's Russell Wilson truthers. There's Russell Wilson's apologists. There's, it, it's part of what's gone on in this fan base. And it's one of the more interesting things that I wouldn't have anticipated, Dana, like in the 90s, in the 2000s, in the 80s even, mm-hmm. all it was about was could we get good enough to win a ring? Like as a franchise, as a fan base, it was all about that. When they made it to the NFC Championship for the first time in 2005, it was a party for that day, for a week. It was like unreal watching Mm -hmm. how the community came together. Same in 2013 and 2014. And since then, I don't think it's just the team that was split and broken by what happened in 2014. But I think that the the fan base has been really split. And there's there's deep wounds that I think people feel. And I think people deal with it in different ways. And people have taken different tribes within this tribe. And um, 
what I, you know, <laughs> even though we, we battle in this group, I think we all care deeply about each other as well. And so that's what brings us back together each time is I think we know that we have the right, the right thought in mind about um, how we treat people and what we want to happen for the Seahawks. We all want the Seahawks to win. We all want to be great, but it's, it's frustrating. And I think that there's a lot on the line right now. I think people feel that people feel that there's more, more on the line this season than there's been in a long time. It's not just about whether they can make the playoffs or contend. There's a lot of priors that are either going to be confirmed or denied or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, it, what I will commit to for us, you know, myself included is, you know, we're going to keep being honest with you. We're going to be keeping authentic. There's been points where folks on this show have been like, Hey, do you even want me to come on tonight? Cause I feel really different than the rest of you. And, and the fact that matters, we'll, we'll always want that because we're not going to be a show that just gives you one point of view. We're going to try to give you different perspectives and sometimes it will get heated. The hope is that, you know, we come out the end of it and we can have some nachos with toppings on them, not on the side and, and have a drink and either celebrate or commiserate, you know, and that's what we're going to continue to do here. So I know we're running real late. I do want us to get to 49ers predictions. Mm-hmm. If you guys are up for that, can we do that? Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, Nathan, it's been a while. Um, and I want to give you first opportunity to talk since we're going to didn't get to talk about the 49ers game much. If you can talk about kind of what you're expecting in this game, what, what you're, what you're thinking and then give your score prediction. I have no idea what to expect. Um, <laughs> I, I have some hopes. I I hope that they, like I said, simplify this defense a little bit or do whatever it is so that they at least know their assignments. Uh, I I do think the second half stuff has been a fluke, um, and there's different reasons for each uh, for the offense. You know, not scoring points in the the second half of each of these games. Um, so I think that there's. I think I'm I'm hopeful that those things pan out, but I have no idea. Maybe the offense craters, maybe the defense manages to get worse, maybe the defense gets good and the offense is bad and we're all just completely mind blown in a week. Uh, anything feels possible with this team. So did you give a score prediction in there? I did not. Uh, I think the Seahawks are going to win 31-28. Okay. Dana or Evan, who wants to go next? Dana, you want to take this? Yeah, sure. That's fine. First, I'm sorry I yelled at you, Evan. But anyway, the whole point is... I love you. You don't have to apologize for anything. Sorry, I get really mad when people roll their eyes at me. But um, here's the thing. Have you guys seen the practice sheet from today for the 49ers? Yeah. It's like, okay, Nick Bosa, who's resting. Yeah. Javon Kinlaw, out. George Kittle, out. Now, he'll probably play, but he has a bad, uh, bad calf. So that's something to keep on Josh Norman and Quan Williams. I have a lot of 49ers fans on my um, timeline and they're panicked about playing Russell Wilson, DK and Tyler because of their cornerback situation. They're down to, I think their third and fourth string quarterback at the cornerback at this spot. So that gives a lot of opportunity if they can stay on the field, much like Brian was saying before. Right. So I think that gives them an opportunity to do this. I think if you look at then quarterback situation in San Francisco, obviously Seattle has the edge there, correct? 
So I think that what we need to look at is who's going to outlast this. Now, if the defense doesn't get at least a little bit better, it might not be Seattle. But I do think right now that Seattle will probably win this game. I do think it'll be somewhat close. I love to say this. It's either going to be close or it's going to be a ridiculous blowout. There's not going to be a middle ground here with this one, right? But I think it'll probably be close. I think it's going to be Seattle 28, maybe San Francisco 21-24 in there somewhere. If Kyle Shanahan is listening to the pod, I just want to remind him that uh, Jimmy G is the stable option at quarterback. He has a super high completion rate, very high, you know, uh, quarterback wins record through multiple seasons. So definitely start Jimmy G on Sunday. But I, along with the other two, also think Seattle will win this game, um, which I think would place the Niners below the Seahawks in the NFC West. Is that right? Because they'd be two and two with Seattle with the head-to-head record. So just for that content alone, with those standings, uh, I'm rooting for a win, obviously, but I think Seattle wins this game. Um, I think it's going to be a close one, but I could see like uh, 27-23 Seattle. Yeah, I think um, there is like odd reason to be optimistic about this game. I think that I think the 49ers fans, if they're looking at this, they're looking at George Kittle and Debo Samuel and feeling and their offensive line, which I think is the best the Seahawks have played so far that played this so far this year and have to think their offense is going to be in decent shape. Um, I think that if you're a Seahawks fan, I think you look at this and you look at the cornerback position for the 49ers, you look at the running back position for the 49ers Mm -hmm. Um, you look at how Pete Carroll is played or, or schemed against Kyle Shanahan and how the Seahawks have a lot on the line. And it feels like the kind of game that the Seahawks, um, could, uh, could win. Um, I'm going to go ahead and predict that they're not, um, you know, it's a close one for me. To me, this is, this is a coin flip game. Uh, I feel like I'm going to pick the 49ers to win 27, 24. Uh, I think it could easily be the other way around. Um, but it's going to take a different. Is that because you think Jason Myers is going to miss a field goal? Is that why? Dana. Yes, Dana coming in at the end with the big uppercut. I love it. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, I think that it could, it could go the other way. But I do think that the defense is going to have to play a very different game than they've played for the last six quarters. And the offense is going to have to, they're going to have to win the day. I I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's going to be realistic to expect this, this defense to totally shut down uh, San Francisco um, uh, at this point, given the way the cornerbacks have played. So Let's hope that Sidney Jones or Sidney Rice or anybody plays cornerback better than we've seen. Um, and let's hope that we can send the 49ers home unhappy, um, you know, because they will be in Santa Clara. So that's why I'm saying we're going to They talked them. so much shit last week. So much shit. You know, after well, we lost the 49ers fans are pretty unhappy. I, I haven't, they're, they're actually going through a little bit of what the Seahawks have gone. Mm-hmm. There's like tribes within 40, like there's Trey Lance, there's Jimmy Garoppolo folks. And then there's Kyle Shanahan supporters and haters. Like 
Ka- he has haters. In that oh yeah, there's a whole fire seen. fire Shanahan yeah. out there right now. Yeah. <laughs> there are. They're pissed about how he's handled the the, the receivers. There's some uh, legit criticism to be had for him though. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's it's interesting. It's definitely interesting. And and yeah, I there's rumors about whether he really wanted Trey Lance at all and whether that was forced on him and Anyway, so so I think the 49ers have are in a pickle as well. Um, and one of these teams is going to come out feeling a lot better about themselves than they did. We are going to be back with you after that game for a post-game show. Is that is that a day game or is that a primetime game? game? 115, I think. 115. So we will have a post-game show after that game. It should be interesting. And we're going to have the Rams coming to Seattle and maybe a Mariners playoff run next week. Who knows? Like anything's possible um, next week. So uh, we'll be back. Thank you all for joining and uh, you know, seeing our family tussle uh, as we, we like to be straight with all of you. So if you haven't already, please give the show a like, uh, click subscribe, click the bell to get notified. And of course, go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger, join the community, ask your questions that we ask then on the show and answer as best we can. And always go Hawks. Let's hope for the best. Take care.